what to do. Is it okay to call you Alex, Alex, by the way? Absolutely. Okay, Is cool. It okay to call you Alex, Alex. <laughs> well, I, I could call you Alexandra. You might prefer that. <laughs> I don't know. No, no, I feel like I'm in trouble when my full name's pronounced. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. <There's> Alexandra. <laughs> well, I'm an owl, so I have the same, the same problem as an owl. Any, any more Al, letters yeah. than the first two, I feel threatened. <laughs> my name's I only two letters. My name's only two letters, so I'm, I'm fine. Hi, it's easy. You're mm -hmm. always threatened. Okay, so I guess we've started. So welcome to the Electric Head podcast, Alexandra Holzer, or Alex, as we've just discussed. <laughs> and yeah, thank you for joining us. We are really excited to have you on here because we have, I'm going to hold up this book that we get very excited about. Oh, I love yes. that book. Hans Holzer book. First one. Yeah, so I found this book in New York, uh, uh, in the uh, West Village, I think it was. Uh, and that was our introduction to Hans Holzer and he's become quite a big part of our podcast ever since. So it's and a I, pleasure to talk to you. So I've never actually seen the book in the flesh, but I cover that green, <laughs> that green embossed writing on the front, you know, the shiny <laughs> writing. Oh. So yeah, tell us, uh, introduce people to, first of all, who you are and who your father was. Um, okay, well, first of all, thank you for having me on. And do we really know who we are? is really the question. Um, my father, who's still around, by the way, um, was considered the modern father of ghost hunting. And the reason for that, Dr. Hans Holzer, is because he was one of the first parapsychologists to marry the conception of mediumship into the psychology of the academia of the work that was always done. And, you know, when you get a PhD in this field, you don't talk about ghosts in the same sense as a medium would or an investigator without that degree. Um, he did not begin that way. He was a skeptic journalist and uh, beginning actually in the 1930s and into the 1940s. And when he and his family made their way, they landed in Hoboken, New Jersey. And my grandfather had begun a tailor shop. And um, so Grandpa Leo and Grandma Marta, and she sat in the back of the store because back then women weren't allowed to work in the front that way. And so my father and uh, his brother had to work in the shop. And I think that lasted for about a week. And my father was like, forget this. It's not for me. You know, he was from Vienna. <laughs> I, like, yeah, I noticed you said in one of your things that he had a voice a bit like Dracula. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, and he looked like Dracula, you know, he, he had a really awesome. good, <laughs> he had a nice head of hair for a little while, and then I don't know, I mean, it went to, you know, can you curse on your podcast? Oh yeah, yeah go ahead, course. feel free. Oh, thank you, that's fucking great. So, his hair <laughs> and um, he would always greet, you know, my friends when I was growing up at the front door in Manhattan, and he'd open the door, good evening, and come in. I'm like, Brilliant. I'm so done. But, you know, he was a skeptic journalist and he was highly intelligent. You know, he went to college. He, he studied languages like Japanese and got his doctorate. You know, I mean, he just wanted to absorb so much. And at the age of five in school, he would start telling ghost stories and stories of little fairies. And he got into trouble. And uh, my, my grandfather, Leo, was like, Hans, you can't do these things. They're going to kick you out. You're five. What do you think? <laughs> My father wasn't thinking. He was experiencing something that I feel could have been maybe a past life, but he was chosen. And, you know, he, it wasn't with great opposition. You know, he was put down a lot, um, a lot of judgments over the years. 
And he just always stuck to what he was working on, regardless of what anybody said. And then when you come over to the States, you know, it was, it was just different versus mm. in Europe. And so as an academic here in New York, when he moved to Manhattan and began his family, you know, it was a lot of opposition there. And then he went to a party one evening, and that's where he had met um, famed Irish medium Eileen Garrett. And Eileen had listened to his stories as people had crowded around and said, you know, and I can't do Irish, but she said to him, you know. <laughs> do try, though. <laughs> no, don't, don't worry. My, my Irish, my Irish is, uh, is dreadful as well. Is uh, it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't want to butcher it, but she was just like, you know, oh, you got to put these in the books, you know. And, uh, <laughs> that wasn't good. bad. That wasn't bad. It's not bad. It's better than mine. Is, is that who is in Ghost Hunter? Yes. So yeah. that, that first book that came out in the early 60s was the beginning of all the other books to come. And I think a lot of people get confused as to what he stood for. He had the ability to also be a great prolific writer. And I mean, take... he, wrote, he wrote a lot, didn't he? I was so surprised yeah. when Al told me how many books he'd actually written. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it was, you know, and this is back then. So actually he began in the forties doing um, journalism and working for different places and submitting articles to like Fate Magazine, other magazines that don't exist anymore called Borderline, these like little five by sevens. And that's what you did. You know, mysticism, spiritism, all of that was in there. UFOs, men in black, it's been around a long time. Mm. And that, that really tickled his fancy. And so when Eileen convinced my father to take his work and put it in a novel, he went for it because he was already a writer, you see. Well, so, that's something yeah. that we talked about is his writing style is so compelling. Like, even if you were a complete skeptic, had no interest in anything, it's still a really good read. He, always, yeah, he really sets it up, do you know what I mean, at the beginning yeah. with the description and, uh, you know, uh, yeah, you're, you're on tender hooks waiting to see what, Tender hooks. It's tender hooks. I'm always telling you that. Sorry, we disagree about it. Uh, I shouldn't have brought that up at all, should I? But yeah, yeah, no, he's, he's a brilliant writer. Uh, yeah. No, so I mean, he really, he had that ability. You know, he was just, I, for me, he was a renaissance man. And, and it was kind of hard to, even nowadays with, with, you know, media and entertainment and all sorts of things, it's hard to box him in and say he's this or he's that. He was many things mm. and yeah. had many interests and did a lot of research in many different subject matters. So it wasn't just with ghosts and possessions, if you will. But that book was the birth of it all for him to start putting his research down and then publish so that people could share the knowledge, the information, and take from it what they will, whether they're novices, um, whether they're beginning their own group, you know, I mean, back then, they did, there weren't, like, paranormal teams or anything, but they, there were roundtable discussions. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, he would meet with, with people in Manhattan, and they, they would do these roundtable discussions and discuss theories and, and ideas and so forth. Because he had quite, didn't he, the Holtzer method, it's called, I think. I've done a bit of research <laughs> here, you see. Uh, he, uh, he is quite scientific, right? So he came to it from quite a scientific approach, I, I believe. Is, is that correct? Would that be correct? That is correct, because he had gone to the London School of Applied Science, which I don't believe it exists, but um, when we had to go through all his documents 
um, we were looking and we had found his PhD degree, his doctorate, his Japanese, everything. It's like all these beautiful certifications frame. Wow. And um, so he came to the States and then went back out and got his PhD and then came back, you know, and so it was academia for him. It had to be scientific, which is why in a lot of his books, you're going to see the transcripts of the sessions he would have with the transmediums, and then what equipment he would use, the time of day, what the environment was like, mm. was it light out, was it dark out, what camera did he use, you know, all that, all that information was data, it was very important for the reader to see that because it was set up always as an experiment to yeah. see what they were going to get, and when he started combining that with mediums, it changed it yet again. And so he created this protocol, which I always tote around as the Holzer method, because it's the combination of science and mediumship. And yeah. when you have a PhD in this field, you know, it, it's just kind of poo-pooed, you know, against it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, he's not a serious researcher. Mm. He broke grounds. He created a new yeah. protocol. And people in our world that do that are considered groundbreaking um, you know, individuals, and he was one of those people. So it's not to say he's put in this neat little box. He was, he took it to that next level. Yeah, well, a lot of actually, actu well, you say actual scientists, as, as they would call themselves, actually, yeah, they do close their mind off to anything that seems slightly odd or, or paranormal or, or supernatural or whatever it is, which which is a shame, really. I, th I think now with uh, kind of quantum physics and, and different things like that they're beginning to see that perhaps this is opening up a world uh where the supernatural or the paranormal might might be possible in, sci in scientific terms um uh, which is which is quite i think there was a lot more of that kind of thing like back then so you had harry price over here is probably you know more well known but like was there I know you, that comparison must come up a lot. Is, it, is that a fair comparison? Is it a similar sort oh, of approach? Oh, yeah. And Carrington and Fodder, you know, there's all of them. And, he, you know, my father collected as much material that was out there on these gentlemen. Um, he also started collecting material with spiritualism and spiritism because he was fascinated in taking it to that next step. You well, know, sorry, sorry to ask. What's the difference between spiritualism and spiritism? It's not that much um oh, okay there's well you know as spiritism came out as, as a movement um there was this really great uh documentary i believe on netflix uh based off of the pen name of alan kardec i don't know if you've ever heard of it but no. um this uh, had happened in france and uh, i believe around paris and alan kardec was the past life into this new life where he was a scientist and they had kind of like the men's club where they would discuss things, but it was never anything with phenomena. And all of a sudden people started coming to him and his family and young girls and, and having conversations with the dead. And it started opening up this, this doorway for him to, to kind of bring it back out. And they said that it's, it's his job to reintroduce it and get people to see and hear the other side. And of course he was, you know, I wouldn't say crucified, but he was thrown out of the club. And, you know, I believe in, in the documentary, it shows that their house was, you know, um, being watched and the, the villagers, the people of the town didn't like it. It's almost like if you, if you go and heal somebody, you're, you're a witch and you're burnt at mm. the stake. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same okay. Philosophy. And this, this came back, you know, hundreds of years and it was like the first, the, the birth of it, 
in Europe of spiritism where you can have communication with those that are no longer of the physical world. And then spiritualism to me is not a religion, but it's a belief system. And so if you say you're spiritual, it's almost like saying either you're Catholic um, or you're Protestant or so forth. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's more of a religion. Uh, yeah, was it Madame Blavatsky or something like that? I think was was to do with spiritualism because Arthur Conan Doyle, the uh, the writer of Sherlock Holmes, was really into uh, the yes. spiritualist movement as well, wasn't he? I, I believe. Yeah, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of crossover with this, and like he was into magic and illusions and other kind of, you know, which is all a form of experimenting with the paranormal. Really, was mm-hmm. was that something that your father was interested in at all? Oh my God. So. <laughs> oh, I'm excited. <laughs> so I, I didn't really realize until probably in my 20s and I knew growing up, you know, our apartment was like a living rotating museum and there's artifacts and all sorts of things. And um, I didn't realize that he was a certifiable, whatever that means, warlock. You know, because he right. would have, he had people that would come over to the apartment and I guess those became the round table discussions moved over to the Upper West Side in Manhattan. Thanks, dad. But you know, <laughs> you had these people come in and, and what you see in the movies, a lot of them really looked like that, you know, yeah, yeah. I know it's it's funny funny enough i did a charity gig for a guy who was uh, a wiccan uh who got thrown out of his position at a school because of his religious beliefs and it was to support him um and we went along and i did a i did a sketch live on stage about about witches um and uh, there were a lot of witchy people sat in, the, <laughs> sat in the front row just as you picture like somebody who was a witch you know all giving me like really hard stares <laughs> luckily they found it really amusing <laughs> yeah. oh my it's it's so bad it's so bad you know we try not to i hate labeling i hate stereotyping and as i'm getting older it's, it's just really i have no energy for it yeah but there are they kind of you know dress the part if you will yeah and so he you know was into that you know it was a religion for him he um growing up you know i went to a private school in manhattan and you know uh i didn't have many friends but the friends that i had their parents would go to office parties if you will what did my father do <laughs> went to the witch's ball of course that's natural that well, was his i know office. what i know what i'd prefer to yeah, do to, to be to honest be fair, do you know yeah. what i mean people people taking you know photocopies of their buttocks on a, <laughs> on a photocopier and stuff and getting drunk with the boss you know i'd rather be a wiccan ball i think uh, i think so too um and it was funny yeah i agree i that's oh my god you know but he he would you know get all dressed up he'd have like the the collars stuck out like kind of like um john travolta you know <laughs> kind of a look this. and then he'd be splashing on like the aqua velva and then he would have you know very specific um necklaces on and back then i didn't understand the the symbols of it or what they stood for um now of course i am i'm into tartaria i there's the, everything has changed as far as history for me um but you know, that's what he did. And God knows the people that he mingled with in Manhattan at these parties, but he took it very seriously. And which is why he wrote the book, Witches. you know, um, because it's not so much about casework, like in the ghost books, if you will, mm. but it's, it's almost like it's talking about its own religion and the cult, if you will, and that there's white magic and black magic and that they had, oh, you know, 
That sounds fascinating, yeah, actually. I've not, fascinating, I've not read that. I'll, I'll write that one. Yeah, it's work. on Amazon. It's write called... it down in my notepad. <laughs> There's a lot to get through. <laughs> so um, I have to ask like, about you've kind of taken on a lot of this stuff and you're now carrying the name forward in, you know, paranormal investigation. What what sort of things are you up to now? What, what can people look up and tell us a bit about what you're doing, if you will? Sure. Um, well, uh, we have uh, season two of a show called The Holzer Files out on the Travel Channel that will be airing its premiere uh, this Thursday, 11 o'clock um, Eastern Standard Time in New York. And and that's that's reinvestigating some of his mm-hmm. old uh, investigations, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Correct. So the, the idea behind the show is to go back to his stomping grounds, if you will, and see what's going on today. And it's got a, a modern team. That's so cool. you're not going to be seeing how he really used to work. It's, it's really a modern take on the locations and the storytelling and the history of what he had started out with. And um, so that's, that's the, the basis of the show. And it has authentic footage in there and audio from his, cool. his uh, work. Oh, wow. Um, so that's coming back out uh, this Thursday. And it's a 13-episode series. So that brings us into the beginning of the new year. Um, and basically I have a new book that's coming out. So it's with my publisher right now. And, um, it's not a ghost book because here's the deal. Why? What would be the point? There's like a million, (laughs) you know, and there's a lot of great reads out there, not just my own father's work, but there's a lot of great work out there. And I feel like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Do you know, there's there's enough out there for people find and to learn from i'm also a creative and you know i like to write for young adults so that book should be coming out either december or january and it's like an action adventure supernatural book well that sounds great that sounds really cool cool i have to ask uh about the music because that was a discovery (laughs) (laughs) and i should (laughs) should say that that is how we got in touch with yourself uh, do you yeah. want to explain that to people, like how this came about? Because he, right. he was really a polymath, wasn't he? I mean, he did lots of different stuff, you know. I told uh, you he was a Renaissance man. Yeah. Well, okay. So music was my father's very first passion, aside from telling ghost stories and fairy stories and stuff. He always went back to music. And what a lot of people don't understand, even though I've written articles in the Huffington Post, like uh, there's an article called The Man Behind the Ghost, where I tried to introduce to the people on that um, platform who he really was and still Mm. is Um, but he was the lyricist he was a composer he wrote his own sheet music he was he never studied music in that sense Um, he was self-taught and learned to play the piano we had the accordion from Vienna that we took back with us and um, so he did a lot of sheet music to a lot of um, screenplays that he would write as well and so the music was crucial for him. He produced an off-off-Broadway musical at one time about a um, Manhattan family that were restauranteurs and they had come to this country and um, made a go at it in the food industry. And this is kind of a weird thing, and but that's really where his heart was at. And he'd always be playing the piano. And, and so uh, he had recorded uh, a double-sided um, 45 album Uh, called The Ghost Hunter. And the reason he had done that, he had written the music, got it produced, hired the band, yada, yada, (laughs) yada, was because he had a little show called Ghost Hunter at one time. Okay. And so 
you know, my father was the kind of, of man where he wanted to supply the music, supply the scripts, supply this, tell this, you know, he wanted to do it all. Highly relatable. The whole thing, yeah. We're, yeah. we're but, very you similar. know, I got into trouble too, because there are people who need help to produce, you need the money, it's capital. Yeah. So you yeah. have to really kind of bend towards the way of the wind, and he was not about that. He was about, no, I'm going to give the music. I'm going to be a director. I'm going to be both. So it was like, oh my God. But that's where that album came from, and nobody really knows about it. And I have yet to figure out how to introduce it because um, I, in my mind, I see like a music video. It's not like an, it's not old timey, but do you know what I mean? You guys have heard oh, yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's great, personally. But it's funny. It's funny, Alex, <laughs> Alex. I was thinking of your house when uh, I'm when just you were picturing you... the music video. Sorry, I'm lost in yeah, the idea. He's there. You, you see, Al's a director, so he's thinking <laughs> instantly. He's gonna, uh -oh. uh, but yeah, no, I was just thinking of your house when you were young because your, your father reeling out all these books. Did he use a typewriter? He had a Smith Carona. Right, excellent. <laughs> Outer so, blue Smith Carona. He actually went through quite a few of those typewriters. I can imagine, wow. geez. I was just thinking the sound in your house must have been either him playing the piano or the sound of the typewriter yeah. constantly. Uh. Yeah, type, 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 And then you would always smell the coffee brewing at yeah. all hours of the night because like I said, he was a vampire. So he'd be up all night, Count Dracula, he'd be up all night and then he'd go to bed at like three or four o'clock in the morning. And so you would hear him in the office. And I always called it his office lair because I had written a book called. <laughs> and that's how I described it was because it was, you know, a narrow office space that you would go down in and, um, you know, it had its own bathroom and everything was in there. He had uh, shelving for um, like kind of, I wouldn't say witchcraft, um, but I would say maybe towards remedies that like I have knew he actually had. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, um, charcoal, all sorts of things he would have in these little glass jars. It was a very, it was like a little occultist shop in there. And then he would have his desk, which of course I have. Um, and uh, the typewriter, you know, what a writer's office would look like. And then he had the uh, psychiatry couch, which we have. It needs to be fixed. But, well, not anymore. It's like you sit on <laughs> You're like, you know, the spring's coming up your arse, you know. But he would have, and I think, and I, as I got older, I said, Daddy, you're just getting these wannabe psychics that are coming over, which are women half your age, to lie down. I see what you're doing. <laughs> and he would have, like, these um, black and white um, photos on the wall framed of women that wanted to be actresses or they were psychics, but they were trying to still work, you know. And he would just have these, like, beautiful photos up and he was very good friends with Tina Louise. Um, you know, her and her, her daughter and I would hang out at times while Tina went on, you know, casting calls and things like that in Manhattan growing up um, in the early eighties. So that, that office was everything. It was crazy. And so. It sounds an amazing lair. Yes. For, it for does. A child yeah. to, to peek into, I can imagine <laughs> and, uh, and see him in there, you know, wow. I imagine it. You know, if he could have, he would have had one hand on the typewriter and one on the piano. Oh, he was crazy. Well, he was always sipping <laughs> coffee in the middle. <laughs> he had the coffee, the coffee ring, and his hair he had left, which was kind of like on the Munsters show, if you've ever seen it, the grandpa. Yeah. 
would have like this. This was my father, like this, going. <laughs> that is it. Not now. That's such a great image. It is. It's amazing. So what? Um, like, I would just want to ask about some of your experiences, even like if the bizarre experiences or most intense experiences. Like, what got you into it? Were you skeptical and then became interested, or how did that? Yeah, um, I think growing up, because, you know, I believe there were attachments to him wherever he went and came back home. Sometimes I felt that he did bring something home because it didn't feel comfortable or familiar to me. And as a child, you know, we're very susceptible. We're very, we're not tainted yet. And Mm. so I would have impressions on my bed of somebody sitting on me, which is not very pleasant. My room would get very cold when it shouldn't have been, things would move around when I try to sleep, you know, and that would happen periodically when he'd come home from working a case. And so over time, I think as a child, I was afraid, but I wasn't afraid if that makes sense. I, it wasn't yeah. enough to, to jostle me out of my everyday today. I just was relieved to get up for school and get the fuck out of the apartment because <laughs> at times that's how it felt. Yeah. Um, a lot of weird energy and you know he'd buy things from flea markets that god knows where they came from you know and he was a huge mask collector tradition <laughs> yeah i can see yeah. and um for anyone you know, listening alex is at this point surrounded by masks <laughs> <laughs> I actually, actually, weirdly enough i actually have some of those masks there's one there to your left i've got a uh, uh, it's almost you exactly do the same. Uh, yeah. yeah yeah that's funny well, yeah. but you don't know, this stuff has energy. There's impressions left. And there's, I have a lot of stories, which I won't do in, in this segment, but a lot of his colleagues, um, one woman actually went with me to day camp. She was a counselor there and she, her, she was a colleague of my father. She was a medium in training and I would have to sit with her. And all of a sudden I would get impressions of her apartment and I would detail it to her. And I was like, what, 11 going to day camp, wow. you know, and she'd be like, oh. This is fascinating, you know, and so that mm. would keep happening throughout my life. And so these people, these these belongings, and then him himself coming home, there was so much mixed energy that I couldn't escape it. So I, I wouldn't say I was a skeptic. I think I was more about, I know this is happening. Wherever I go, there's always something that happens. And then I would start to, to read people. I would start to feel things, whether this person is not a good person, that person is okay. And it would so- irk me. So and so, be, sorry. No. So no. you, because you, so, you describe yourself as a psychic paranormal investigator. Yeah. So that's what I was going to ask. What what kind of um, do you, so you have uh, uh, kind of pre precognition? Um, would you say yeah, it's like uh, there's there's like telepathy there? Um, you know th- those kind of things. Uh, you, you you sense all those kind of things. That's that's amazing. Yeah, it's uh, nowadays I'm working on strengthening using my ESP, which we all have. You know, when we use the term psychic, you know, my father always said a psychic predicts the lottery numbers. Oh, you know, but <laughs> that's why I call myself an intuitive because this is innate in all of us. It's quite natural, but we don't always tap into it, and we're going to come and go into our life, and either we come back, we get into reincarnation, or we don't. But the bottom line is um, everybody has the ability to utilize their sixth sense and I've been trying to promote um, part of my father's work has become my work is 
if you tap into yourself and trust your intuition and don't make rash decisions, use the abilities around you that they're always around you, spirit guides, all sorts of things are happening. The information's already given to us. We have to learn how to listen and we have to calm it down and slow it down and it'll help us move through our life path when we have hardships or decisions to make or just dealing with feelings and emotions, which are fleeting. That cannot be used or should not be used to make the next decision. You really have to be smart about things in life. And so the ESP training is very important. So for instance, when I'm, you know, looking at the time and I say, okay, I'm going to have to do all these things today. You know, we have a lot of kids, there's a lot going on. And I'll say, okay, I'm going to take a shower. I'm going to do this and that. And I'm going to see the time in my head. So when I turn my phone over, I'm either right on the mark with the time or I'm off a digit. And you you have to practice, you know, Mm. uh, projection and so forth. So my abilities is not, I would say, psychic. It's it's intuitive. And I can see things and project ahead. And then the precog is I've had dreams um, over the years, ever since I was a kid and into adulthood, about, you know, where I come from, Manhattan, going underwater, you know, and you'll see predictions over the years of psychics saying this country's going down, or that's going to happen. But I grew up there, and I'm very connected to New York, Mm. and I'm still here in New York. And I just keep having these visions of it going underwater. And I have uh, some family members hanging on the top of the building where I grew up. And it's, it's, uh, you know, horrible. Roads being washed away, trying to find my way through my father standing in the middle of the street, like, you know, in the 1950s, and he's right there. And I'm like, Daddy, what's help me? What's going on? And he just looks at me, you know, and a lot of irky dreams like that. So, you know, some of it is is not important because I put it off to the side. But the more aware you are in your life, and the more honest you are with yourself, you can't go wrong. Yeah, you know, I think, it, yeah, that's, I think that's a really great, uh, great statement there. I enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. Because I think everybody is is an antennae to an extent, aren't they? Because I, th- I think everybody has these things. It's just that most of us kind of say, uh, "Some of us oh, need a oh, load of nonsense." Do you know what I mean? Oh, forget it. You know, but uh, but perhaps like you need an electronic helmet to help you. I do. Show off your telepathy. Helmet. I've got it tucked. I've got my telepathy helmet tucked away. It's tucked away. Oh, is it? Maybe another uh, time. Yeah. Then. <laughs> and next time, Alex, you'll you'll be you'll be you'll be lucky. And I'll show up with some kind of. Um, tinfoil on my head or something i don't know <laughs> okay, yeah. but, but you know it's 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 we're all made of energy just think about it if we just break it down to the simplest form yeah, it's, it's not a gimmick you've got charlatans obviously you've got people that want attention obviously social media the internet it's it's kind of garnished more of that so you have to sift through it even more than when Absolutely. my father was around because there was no internet everything was via newspaper and yeah. books and going to the library and then meeting people and learning from people. You always are learning. Nobody has all the answers. And the whole point is not to have the answers all the time, but to break it down and understand what's going on. And either you accept it or you don't, or you're on the fence. And that's all part of life that while you're here and you're incarnate, that's the whole point. Mm. Everybody has the ability. And you know, this whole thing about with psychics and predicting this and knowing everything, you know, I think a lot of it, half of it's bullshit. Mm. Yeah, and the other of course. Is genuine, and, and it kind of presumably takes away from what you what you think it actually is. What could be genuine? Yeah. yeah, 
sort of yeah. misdirects people with when there's too much bullshit, I guess. There, well, you know, it's like my father had no time for that. You know, even as a young man, you know, it was like if, you know, he would have, you know, people come over and he would train them and see, you know, we would do like the Zenner cards and tests like that. And we would do psychometry. So he would ask for a personal effect of that person that's interested to see if my father would work with them because, you know, again, what was the intention? Some just wanted to get well-known because he was in the height of his career. He was very well-known. Mm, he yeah. was the it guy, you know, and that so... That presumably made things harder for him. Yeah, which is yeah. why he got a lot tougher and stringent on that and why he was still very much about the science, but he embraced mediumship because he was learning that they are a tool as well. Mm. No different than a, a Panasonic recorder and a, and a Polaroid camera, you know, so... He really branched it out, and that's why he's modernized the field in that sense. But it by no means did he mean that everybody that came in the front door was this clairvoyant or clairaudient and psychic and medium. It was like you know, give me a break. You know, you have to yeah. you have to work at it, and sometimes you get information, and how could you possibly know? And that that's that moment where you're like, there's other things going on greater than us, and we are tools and vessels. Why is that such a hard concept? Yeah, you know? so a, a healthy skepticism is definitely... very healthy skepticism. Yeah, I think yeah. because the, the both the fathers of modern psychology really uh, like uh, Sigmund Freud, I believe, wrote a paper on um, dream telepathy, which I think was then kind of shelved, <laughs> uh, not surprisingly. But also Jung himself was uh, very much into having a spirit guide and uh, you know you know the spiritual world, uh, which is I think is quite interesting because they it kind of shows that that there there is quite possibly something there do you know what i mean and and scientifically these great minds saw that it was there and, and wanted to investigate it um themselves you know um it's it's a shame that nowadays i think we've moved a long way from um any yeah kind of i think there's not much belief or intuition it's like you either believe or you don't you can't be in the middle and take a right like yeah. you know and I think a lot of times too, and it, it makes me really sad because sometimes people are waiting for an experience to happen. If it hasn't happened to them, then it's it's a bunch of bollocks, you know, as you said. Yeah, but at yeah. the same time, that's such a narrow-minded way to be. We are so small. I, I call ourselves the hobbit of this generation because I do believe that we had, um, we had giants, we had little people, if you want to call them fairies. We had all sorts of mixes of races on this planet, and not that long ago. I mean, if you look at the structures and the buildings, which my father was very into, you know, he also believed that the Phoenicians were one of the ones that discovered America, not Columbus. You know, there's a lot of history that's been written incorrectly, and mm. it's, it's yeah. another subject matter, but it does parlay into the supernatural, which is quite natural, because there was other energies that walked the face of this earth, but, but a lot of things had happened, and we go into mud floods, and we go into conspiracy theories, mm. but look at the structures. Look at the obelisks around the world from Ohio. Yeah. I mean, look at in, in Paris, the Eiffel Tower. To me, that's an energy conductor. I mean, is anybody not even looking at around? Nobody's <laughs> looking. Do we not? Do you not see that these beautiful? It's like you think in Europe, that's where all the old structures are. But if you look in Alabama, um, the Midwest, there's these huge Greek-like buildings that are half destroyed right in the middle, like you know. In, of nowhere and they're still there but they're crumbling down some look like they were burnt like melted mm. rock you know and you have to wonder and why the doorways are so big why do we have 20 foot doorways yeah, it's all around the world so you have to question things and it's the same thing in the field of the paranormal 
and with the occult it's a little bit different but you have to question everything first and foremost don't believe everything and then pick it apart but you should you know read the information from people see what their findings are you can make your own calculations from there you're not going to convince everybody you're going to have skepticism you're going to have belief but if it's healthy on both ends to me that's a middle ground and it's balanced that's the only way you can balance it yeah that's exactly that's funny that's exactly how i how i think in that I think when somebody tells you that they have the absolute answer, uh, then they're, they're generally wrong. <laughs> you know, if, if, if you can question and always question and, and somebody says, well, this, you know, it might be this, it might be that, but look for yourself, question, then that, that's the way to, to true knowledge, isn't it? That's the way to, uh, you know, to find things out, really. It's, it's, it's fair, you know, and yeah. sometimes we do get information if I'm dealing with somebody's case and, and, you know, going through the whole process. And this is why my father would go back several times over. It takes a long time to solve a case sometimes. And other times it's pretty much an open, closed situation. And that's okay, too. Mm. You might have a haunted environment and the people that are haunting the environment don't want to leave. That energy's still there. And things are happening and you, you've used all your equipment, you've done everything full circle and it's happening right before your eyes. Okay, there it is. You know, it's energy that's still moving about from a past soul that was once there that doesn't want to move on. Okay, what's the big deal? It's no different than, than you know, if you cut down a tree and somehow it finds a way to regrow itself again. Mm. The supernatural yeah. is natural. Mm. yeah that's it yeah i'm sure uh, yeah i think I, I, that the supernatural is natural is a great like place uh to leave this i think because i could talk all day about this <laughs> stuff but i guess we need to uh wrap it up at some point but yeah wrap it up. <laughs> wrap <laughs> <Indeed>. it up. <laughs> sorry <laughs> but i wanted to show you just before you go yeah. if you've got a second the things in yeah because yeah. i think this book is a first print of the book that's the original but it's full of lots of clippings from oh yeah yeah these things and i don't i assume they didn't come with the book um, but when you picked it up in the store it had it in there yeah yeah they were all like tucked inside covers. and then also i don't know That's if you so can tell weird. me where this came from but this was inside the let me put my sketch wait a minute oh, okay let's see evaluation sheet for yep oh i have that but yep. you know, I wondered who would have. I mean, would the, could this have been yep. a personal copy, or do you think people would have would he have given these out? Or I don't know. You know, the the thing about his stuff. I mean, if you found it in a bookstore in the village, um, maybe it was a colleague or a friend of my father's mm. or somebody who was a friend of a friend who owned the bookstore and said, "Here, maybe you can sell it." Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, he's been gone for 11 years, but, you know, I, I don't, you know, it's, it's not the first time that I've seen, you know, things that people have found, you know, of his personal stuff. He wasn't very good about keeping it all together. Yeah. And for some reason, or it could have been used for research, but I have those sheets, actually. Yeah, I just um, found it. That, that was part of the reason yeah. I wanted to pick it up, because I was fascinated by all the... But and yeah, you see amazing. how he was working, you see? So basically, Particularly the evaluation sheet was just such a cool find yeah, I was like cool, I am buying it? this immediately yeah well it's yeah. it's nice that you have a piece of that you know I mean he he kind of I mean I 
personally wouldn't have done it the way he did it. But again, I told you, he wanted to do it all and he didn't want anybody to help him. He was, you know, all over the place, not very organized. And so, you know, he would just give stuff out or he would trust people and send things out. He wouldn't get things back. And it wasn't until I came into the picture in my twenties when I started, you know, writing and publishing my own work that I would have to start fighting for him. So by the time I hit the age of 30s, I was like making phone calls, emailing people like, you know, you need to return my father's material. I mean, it was like ridiculous. Mm. And that's, that's a lesson to be learned in his own life path, which he had to learn after he had crossed over because you can't do that. People will take advantage of you. And that was one of the biggest problems. Whereas I'm not like that. You know, um, my whole thing is to protect it, but it's out there. If there's things like the, the music, it's like, you know, I, I have yet to display it, but it's, you know, I, I have no problem because, you know, it's a passion of his, it's to be shared. It just needs to be done in, a, in I think, a nice way to make that big splash for him. Yeah. But he, you know, I'm not surprised. I think it's great because you guys, you know, it falls into the right hands. I think some of the other stuff that he had probably fell into the wrong hands you know, and um, there's nothing I can do about it. That was his choice. He lived it. He That was his work. I personally wouldn't be doing that, you know, but, yeah. um, you know, I mean, yeah, I have a lot of that stuff too. And it's like, you know, um, it's just, I think he just, God knows. I don't know. Yeah, how, just, you know, I would be in the book. I don't know. Yeah. But it's, maybe somebody went to the apartment and. and it felt um, very, um, like it made it feel quite a, a personal find when i found it i'm like i don't know who these are maybe it found you yeah and then it ended up here who knows eh it's been amazing talking to you but thank you so much for joining us and i was gonna say this we in this podcast it kind of links into what we were saying is we have this thing uh where we started doing this podcast and we have this view on life that we've always shared as a comedy act Mm -hmm which is that we're sitting on a, what was it? Well, how did we say it, Sai? Sitting on a rock, spinning around a fireball in a, in a <laughs> in void. A void. Um, just this idea of perspective. We've always had this idea of perspective. And uh, when we started doing this, we talk so much rubbish. We talk about so much stuff, but we always feel that it starts to slightly connect <laughs> itself. Um, and it's crazy that when I decided to talk about this book, which I found when I was in New York, completely randomly had never heard of it <clears throat> mm-hmm. but now we're sitting here talking to you i mean that yeah. there are no coincidences and exactly. even when you don't want to have something happen and you're like that makes no sense just because you don't have the answer in that moment it's happening for a reason and down the the path maybe a year from now maybe two years from now it'll click and that that's the, the dots will join Right? (laughs) But it's true. You know, I mean, there's a reason why. And I think you guys are lovely. I have such affinity for Europe. I wish I could be there. And in the past, I was going to try to get to to do events and things. But, you know, it's, you know, I have a large family. My job is is to to raise the children with my husband as well. You know, I wear many hats like my father. And so, um, but I'm so connected. You know, we had our house in Austria and and Vienna and Badasse. You know, it's just just to me lovely to have you guys now in in our circle and you know i i think what you do is great and i love the comedy because i am all about the shtick let me tell you (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's been lovely to speak to uh alex and uh yeah i hope hope we can get to speak to you again at some point if if, absolutely that would be be great we'd love to that'd be great what I do, I put myself out there to be ridiculed, to be liked, to not be liked. 
I don't give a shit, <laughs> but I know my shit. And I know that there's a message that needs to be put out there. Just, you know, live a good life, do good, be good, learn, and don't be pretentious and think you know everything because you're, you know, some people have exposure and they think they're over here or there. That's not the way of the world. And it comes full circle. And I believe in karma. And I think, you know, it's, it's almost like preaching. It's healthy preaching, but it's in my blood. You know, I, I get it. I know it. I've lived it and I'm still living it and I'm still learning. So I, anytime you guys want me, we'll make it happen. Amazing. Now I was saying before, I think that, that, you know, that book and what was in it chose you. And here we are coming full circle. See what I said? I mean, crazy. from the time you picked up the book, a lot of time has gone by in between and now here we are. So you, there's, there's something to be said for that. There's a reason why. Mm. And that's, you can't explain it or put your finger on it, but you know, it's almost like magical. And what's yeah. wrong with that? You know, that's I the, think that it's, it's just right. one of those things that should reinforce that shit happens that we can't always scientifically explain. And that doesn't make us quacks. It's actually a very intelligent way of understanding what else is going on you know what i mean so i'm glad that you have it and it makes me you know it warms me cockles of my heart <laughs> the cockles are warming you got you you're going into dick van dyke there uh, <laughs> thanks so much alex thank you thank you guys stay well please and stay safe you too much love Take much care. love Bye. cheers Bye.